617 when Jesus comes to reward his servants will he find us watching amen whoa did I do that okay 617 Oh, and Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be noon or night. Faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? If at the dawn of the early morning he shall call us one by one, when to the Lord restore our talent. True to the trust he left us, do we seek to do our best? If in our heart there is not condemns us, we shall have a glorious rest. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's pride home? Say, will he find you and me still watching? Waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come on at last. Blessed are those whom the Lord finds watching. In his glory they shall share. If he shall come at the dawn or midnight, will he find us watching there? Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Amen. And let's turn to 175. 175. There is a fountain filled with blood. Amen. 175. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stain. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all thy sins away. 
Dear dying land, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. While all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more, be saved to sin no more, be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And let's sing that forth as the last. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds apply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. And let's sing 330. This may be a new song to some of you, but I love this hymn. Why should he love me so? Amen. 330. Love sent my Savior to die in my stead. Why should he love me so? Meekly to Calvary's cross he was led. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? Nails pierced his hand and his feet for my sin. Why should he love me so? He suffered sore my salvation to win. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? Oh, how he agonized there in my place. Why should he love me so? Nothing withholding my sin to efface. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege of assembling together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the vast storehouse of knowledge and beauty it holds. We ask that you would be with us as we explore this treasure house tonight, that you would 
Help us to see the exceeding rare and precious treasures of your word. Lord, uh, we just, I ask that you would be able to use every part of this service to your glory, to your honor, to challenge us to be the servants that you would be able to use. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And uh, do we need to turn the fans up or is everybody okay? How many are hot? How many are cold? Okay, I guess we're all right. We'll just leave it alone. Um, ask you to keep in prayer. The ceiling guys are coming again Saturday. And Lord willing, this will be the last time. Uh, it's not the last time we want to see the ceiling guys. They're very nice gentlemen. But uh, it would be nice to finish at least that part of the project. And uh, I believe we're within, uh, as they'd say, out in the, in the uh, country, we're within spitting distance. And so you uh, pray for us that we'd be able to finish that. We will be having regular visitation uh, Saturday afternoon. And uh, uh, pray uh, men would like to be finished. That would be something to really celebrate men's prayer meeting is to be finished the work by 4 o'clock. That would be such a blessing. And so let's uh, pray toward that end. If we may, let's keep the meeting with the Marshall family uh, in prayer. Uh, was uh, able to make contact with Brother Perryman. Now, Brother Perryman is a man that we have supported for quite a while. He has an unusual ministry. It's called New Testament Church Planters. Now, what Brother Perryman does is he goes in and builds buildings for churches. Uh, some of you will remember when we did this wall here, uh, we had a man named Brother Kennedy come in and help us with that. He works with Brother Perryman in that ministry, and when we put these doors in, we put two of them up here and uh, four of them downstairs. Uh, Brother Kennedy and Brother Ovid helped us with those doors, and uh, Brother Perryman's going to be able to come preach for us in November the week after our missions conference. Now, Brother Perryman, he'll get mad at me. I can't remember. I believe he is 77 years old. He did not start this ministry until he retired from a very successful pastorate in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, he, was a, uh, he was a preacher that could have just sat on his reputation and visited churches and preached and had a very comfortable uh, retirement. Uh, they finally made him stop walking roof trusses at 73. The other men he was, were, I mean, he's 50 feet in the air walking 40 foot across the two by four. That's, I mean, that's all that's there as the crane lowers these big pieces of wood that hold the roof in place. And uh, they find, I, I like that. I admire that kind of man. I, I hope to be one someday. Be a crotchety old man that gets up. I'm afraid of heights. I don't want to be walking roof trusses anytime. But uh, other projects and things. And, uh, and so it, it is, uh, pray for him. He's trying to work out the scheduling. Uh, we'll also be hosting a uh, pastor's fellowship that week. And he'll be coming in to speak at the pastor's fellowship. That's uh, November 12th would be the Sunday, and then the 14th, uh, Monday night and Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday morning would be the 
actual meeting. And so uh, pray for that if you would. We've got a full schedule this fall. Marshals are coming in just a couple of weeks. And then Brother Berger will be preaching our missions conference. Uh, got a hold of uh, Brother Bob Mickey. Uh, he has been in Kenya for, oh, I guess about 12 years and uh, done a phenomenal work there. He's going to be with us. Brother Hearns from Nepal is going to be with us again. Looking forward to seeing them. We ha have not seen, I don't believe we've really seen them until they, uh, since they left for the mission field. And uh, he's been there, well, I guess, six years, four, four years. And so um, looking forward to seeing them. He'll have his two brand new little kids with him. He didn't have them when he went. And uh, so we're just uh, looking forward. And then Brother Clayton in December. Uh, I'm looking forward to that Christmas fellowship. Talk to Brother Saravia and Brother um, Shaw. And uh, looks like we're going to have an all-church fellowship December 9th, Saturday. We're going to have a dinner. We're going to have a Christmas sing. So we're going to start working on some music. We want to sing songs in different languages and, and uh, different groups and, and just have a, a, a fun time. It's very similar to what we did on the 4th of July. Uh, I don't know what we'll call it, the Christmas thing or Christmas something, or maybe we'll just call it a fun fellowship time or whatever. We'll just do it. Amen. And so plan uh, your schedule accordingly. Let's sing one more song and then we'll get into the message. 615, there is joy in serving Jesus. Can you say amen to that tonight? 615, let's sing it out. There is joy in serving Jesus as I journey on my way. Joy that fills our heart with praises every hour and every day. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart every moment, every hour. As I draw upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus, joy that triumphs over pain. Fills my soul with heaven's music till I join the glad refrain. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I call upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus as I walk alone with God. Tis the joy of Christ my Savior who the path of suffering trod. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart every moment, every hour. 
as I draw upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus, joy amid the darkest night. For I've learned the wondrous secret, and I'm walking in the light. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I draw upon his power, there is joy. Joy, joy that never shall depart. Amen. I pray that is true of each one of us. And of course, true joy is not walking around with a Cheshire cat smile all the time. And um, people who do that, uh, they lie about a lot of other things too most of the time. Uh, joy is having peace in my heart and contentment knowing that God is in control. Amen? Joy is not forgetting who God is. And as we look through this passage tonight, uh, I will tell you we are... Uh, I am struggling trying to put into words what I, I believe is being alluded to here in the Scripture. And uh, this is... Uh, not what we would call a, a simple or a light text. It's uh, some of the darkest and, and deepest words in the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 5. And uh, we'll just pick up our reading. We, we look in, in chapter 5, and, and we've titled the second part of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapters 5 through 10, the um, God's provision for man's failure. The first four chapters is God's revelation and what man has done with it. And that response has been total and utter failure. Now, I know we're supposed to be positive and we're not supposed to dwell on the negative. But I'll tell you, if you don't look at things the way they are, you'll never solve the problem. Amen. Uh, there are just some things in life that are not positive. Uh, they are negative, and there's nothing you can do about that negativity except let it drive you to your knees. Amen? Let it draw you closer to the Lord. And we see the, the answer here in the last verse of chapter 4 is, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, it is a fearful thing to come at before the presence of a great person. Most of us have not had that opportunity. I, uh, I mean, I've met men that I consider very great, some of the greatest preachers that walk, but it's not like meeting uh, President Bush or some of these great people. I mean, they're powerful people. They're people who could just literally uh, speak a word and change all of history. And as we 
think about coming boldly before the throne of grace, we're talking about entering the presence of Almighty God. But it says boldly, like we belong there. You know, somehow we get this idea, now we don't have to deal with this so much in New York City because timidity is just not part of our culture and being here, amen? Uh, we, we understand very well the fact that being timid and mild and twiddling your thumbs and saying, well, what, what would you like me to do? doesn't get much accomplished now, does it? But sometimes we're so confident in ourselves when we come before God that God just draws the curtain and won't listen. And that's what Hebrews chapter 5 is all about. A high priest, Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And last week we spent almost the whole time on verse 5, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. And we spent a lot of time talking uh, about how that people are always looking to elevate themselves. Jesus never was. Um, I guess one of the best examples I can give you, and it's a very poor one at that, have you ever met somebody who was, I mean, really rich? I mean, really rich. Uh, I, I met uh, the man that helped us with the building here in a period of about four years. He gave us just under $300,000. And... Uh, it was like 260-some thousand dollars, about four different gifts over a period of four years. And Have you ever met somebody who was really rich that talked about how rich they were? Hmm? Mm -hmm. They don't do it. Have you ever met anybody that is, was really strong and really physically able to defend themselves and literally defeat any person uh, in combat that would come up against them. I mean, if you've ever been around some of our military people, uh, I think of uh, on um, during Fleet Week, taking the kids down there and, and meeting some of those men. And I mean, you could, you could just take one look and you say, this guy killed me five times for my body to have a chance to hit the floor. But you know what? They didn't go around. Here, let me grip with you and show you how strong I am. The people who are engaged in that kind of foolishness do so because they don't have what they're trying to think they have and they want the assurance that they have it by picking on you. You ever met anybody like that? It's not a very pleasant experience, is it? And this spirit that we despise so much here on earth is not part of who our Savior is. And aren't you glad about that? He didn't go around lifting up himself. And anytime you see somebody, the reason uh, you say, why are you just dwelling? We know this, Pastor. Yes, you know this, but... If you ever turn on the, you know, I know there are people that watch Joel Olstein on the, on the television. 
and many of these other television preachers, and that's all they do. Everything is designed. I even, I knew of a Bible college, supposedly independent fundamental Baptist, said, if you're going to give an example in your message, it, you make yourself the hero of all your stories. You make Jesus the hero of all your stories. Amen? Listen, we are not here to draw attention to ourselves. We are not here to superimpose our own ideas or our own wishes over the Word of God. We want exactly the opposite to happen. And the reason why we're spending time here is because we're, we, we, we went over uh, verses, uh, the last part of verse 5, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Verse 6, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we come to verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with, cry, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation on, unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We look at Jesus and we understand as saved people, which I, I believe almost all of us here tonight are, are that or have professed that at one time, we understand that it took great effort to win, to obtain, to pay for our salvation. Amen. And I believe one of the reasons why we have the story that we're going to be spending most of our time tonight, the Garden of Gethsemane, is because even though God is infinite in His power and strength, He wanted to pull back the veil of our understanding just a little bit and let us see the depths of agony and suffering that He went through. It is easy for us to say, well, we understand this thing. Jesus is God. God can do anything. Therefore, he went through the cross. It was not for him what it would be for us. And that's very true because none of us could do it because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus prayed that incredible prayer, John chapter 17 where he prayed literally for you and I today. He said, I pray not for these only, but also for them which shall believe through, the test through their testimony. I don't have the words exactly right, but that's us. Jesus was praying for us in those moments before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And for three hours, if we put the, the passages together in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find that Jesus agonized to the point where the Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. 
it said that he was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And, and this idea has prompted many preachers to say, you know, Jesus felt that the devil was trying to kill him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's, uh, I'm sorry, I just cannot, cannot agree with that. Jesus was not success, susceptible to those kinds of tricks of the devil. He is God. But he pulled the veil back just a little bit and allows us through the gospel record to get just a glimpse of what it cost for our salvation. And as I say those words, we, we think and we, yeah, yeah, I got that. And yet, I, I don't think we really do. Let's, let's turn and let's just read all three of these passages. Mark chap I mean, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And uh, we'll start reading verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And so we see from this story here, Jesus is not praying, I mean, we, we can easily make the mistake that he's saying, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But that's not what he's saying. Look at the words. It says, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He is explaining to us his abhorrence for this cup. The cup that he was to drink was not only the cup of suffering. It was the cup of the divine wrath of Almighty God. We have been through the book of Revelation and taken the time to go through that book verse by verse several times in the history of our church. And one thing that never fails to happen as we read through the book of Revelation is just to stand back in awe of the horrific judgments and happenings 
that will be fulfilled when those prophecies in the book of Revelation are carried out upon this earth. Uh, the best guesstimate I can give is about three-quarters of the world's population is going to die in seven years. Now stop and think about that. If that were to happen today, it would be about four and one-half billion people dying in seven years. That's unfathomable. But that's what's going to happen because God is going to take the cup of his wrath and he is going to pour that cup out upon the world and the kings of this earth are going to drink of that cup because they have refused to let the Savior drink for them. The battle of Armageddon, it talks about the Lord Jesus himself is going to tread the wine press and that the, the wine that is going to come out of that press is the blood and the battle of Armageddon, it says that the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridle for the space of nearly 120 miles up that Jordan Valley. It's going to fill that valley with blood. Could anyone, including God himself, lightly pick that cup up and put it to his lips is the question I ask tonight. Yet that's what Jesus did when he paid the price for our sins. He took our judgment. It was not that he was unwilling to do so. Read the Bible. He said, should I pray that, this, that, the Lord would, that my Father should deliver me from this hour? For this cause am I come, is what he said. And Luke, I mean, John chapter 17, he said, I mean, not 17, John chapter... 10, verse 17, he says, I lay my life down that I may take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus was not afraid of doing what he had come to do. But he wants you and I, as he did the disciples, he just took Peter, James, and John, and he said, would you watch with me? And as I was reading and reading over this, I wonder, it says that he found them asleep. I think it's in Luke. Let's turn there to Luke and, or Mark. Let's just start the whole way through. Mark chapter 15, we'll start reading in verse 32. Mark chapter 15. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, I think it is. There we go. Yes, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says, And they came to a place which is named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul was exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Then he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Simon Peter, Sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. 
And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer them. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hours have come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Now let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22. And we'll start in verse 41. Luke chapter 22. Oh, let's go back and verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from, the, from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And then it goes on and gives the account of the arrest. I can't be dogmatic. One of the reasons I believe that John did not record this is because of what Luke said right here, that they were asleep for sorrow, that... John, the beloved disciple, was just so overwhelmed with what he saw, he just basically didn't remember. It often happens, does it not? I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but we have no record of this prayer in the garden for John, the beloved disciple. It says here in the book of Luke that they were asleep for sorrow. It is hard to watch someone absolutely consumed. It is hard to console one, another human being that is consumed with grief and agony as Jesus was here in the garden. Sometimes the best thing we can do with another human being is just be there, amen? But I believe Jesus wanted us to see that though he is able to endure the cross, as the writer of the book of Hebrews 12 tells us, he in, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That that term, despising the shame, was not the same as you and I would think as we walk by a pile of putrid garbage and say, oh, I despise that smell. I mean, this was something that reverberated through the entire soul of Christ and being God. Do you not think he was a thousand times more acutely aware of what was going on than any human being could ever be? He knew what was in that cup because he is as God had filled that cup with the fury of his own wrath. And now he was going to take that cup so that you and I would never have to touch it. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the sin offering is what that passage is talking about. Just as God told Abel, uh, Cain actually centuries, uh, millennia before 
that if you do wrong, sin lieth at the door. He was talking about one of Abel's sheep, the sacrifice is right there. Just go and get the sacrifice, Cain, and offer it. But Cain would not, would he? Jesus took that cup. And the only time we ever hear Jesus referring to God the Father by anything other than Father is there on the cross. And one other passage just popped into my mind on Resurrection Sunday. He said, I ascend to my God and to your God. It was while he was suffering on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On Resurrection Sunday morning, he was talking about ascending into the presence of God. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 9, uh, I believe that that is the description of what happened Resurrection Sunday morning as he sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat in heaven having obtained an eternal redemption for us. Those are the only two instances in the Scriptures I know about where Jesus referred to God the Father by anything other than God. One, as He was the sin offering on the cross. The other, as the high priest who was entering into the presence of God to pay the price for our sins with His own blood. We need to meditate on these things. We need to read these passages. There is no way you can read these passages and not see the strong and uh, consuming, soul-wrenching emotion that was involved with what was going on here. as God himself was going to take all of the judgment for all of mankind so that those who would be obedient to him, I believe that's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You know, that's something missing from Christianity today, is it not? It is come to God as you are and stay the way you are. That's not the kind of salvation Jesus gives in the Scriptures. Amen? He is going to change us. He is going to make us different. He wants us to be obedient to Him and His Word. And who benefits through our obedience? We do. Amen? We are the beneficiary of obedience because God knows what's best. That's why he calls sin, sin, because any sin, anything God calls sin, if you allow it into your life, it will kill you. It will destroy you. And there are many kinds of death that we face, even in this veil of, of life, veil of tears that we call life. I'm sure all of us can think about people that we've had to deal with over the years, people that we were once close with and now we are miles apart because of the Word of God. 
we can think of, of, of people that have literally, if you've been a Christian very long, you've met people who have stood against you in your service for Christ. You have seen this scourge that uh, is just such a part of American culture that we accept it today called divorce. That is a death. I know many preachers personally. I, I know of many families where members of that family are just as if they were dead because of sin and destruction in their, in their lives. They're not allowed in the home. They, you couldn't allow them in the home. They wouldn't even want to come in the home because of the wicked things that they know they are capable of doing. There are many deaths and sufferings we face because of this thing called sin. And Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Now notice what Jesus did when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was quoting God's word, was he not? Thy will be done. You want, you want power in this life to overcome suffering. You fill yourself full of the word of God. Amen. Jesus was not repeating a mantra hoping it would come true someday. Jesus was not just sitting there uh, making a vain repetition. He was praying in the earnestness of his soul. Thy will be done. That's he said, never, if this cup may pass from me, I mean, who would want that cup? Amen? But his resignation to drink that cup was there from the very beginning. Thy will be done. And that's what we see here. And the Bible, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong try, crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, this idea of feared is not talking about what happens when you get woke up in the middle of the night and you hear some strange noise. How many of you remember the earthquake of 2001? anybody remember that here in Astoria? I mean, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and it sounded like a sonic boom. I mean, just boom, and everything shook for about two or three seconds. That was it. I mean, you could hear glass rattling in the panes, and, and uh, they said the, uh, Astoria was the epicenter of this thing. Even in Long Island City, you didn't hardly feel a thing. You got to Brooklyn, there was nothing going on. Uh, you got out to Jackson Heights, and there was nothing going on. And, and all of us here in this immediate area were wondering, what in the world? Now, that's, that's a fearful thing, wake up like that. Trying to figure out what happened. Streetlights were still on, turned on the radio. They weren't saying bulletin, bulletin, bulletin. So what do you do? You go back to sleep. Amen? Find out in the morning. That's not what it's talking about here, fearing. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. 
Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now those verses are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in John chapter 8, we kind of skipped over this. Look at those uh, passages that are on your outline there. You're going to see Jesus as he was defending himself in, in the presence of these Pharisees as they were trying to attack him. He said, listen, I don't testify of myself. But if I did testify myself, it would be true because my testimony is not mine alone. It's my father's. It's, he is with me. The testimony of two men is true. And, and Jesus was trying to help these Pharisees open their eyes and see to whom they were talking. And finally, in the last, he said, of whom ye say that he is your God, that's my father. And all they could do is pick up stones to try to stone him. But here we see that it says that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And it says, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3 says, and shall, make him quick of, uh, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And as we look in the book of Hebrews, it says, he was heard in that he feared. Jesus was not afraid of the cross. Jesus was not afraid of the devil. He was not afraid of the cup that he was about to partake of, but he feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the froward mouth, and the evil way do I hate. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? This thing called the fear of the Lord. He was not fearing man or anything that man could do because he is God. Amen? What does he have to be afraid of? The Bible tells us on the day of Armageddon, he with his spoken word will destroy the combined armies of this entire world in one fell stroke. He told the disciples, I could call right now and I would have 10,000 legions of angels. I mean, you stop and think one angel killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. What would one legion do? That's 6,000 angels. Think about 10,000 angels. I mean, you'd have to send a cosmic street sweeper with his little dustpan to put the, the remnants of this universe in it and take it away if he had called those angels to destroy this world. That's not what the Savior did. The Savior was looking 
at what God is going to do to every human being that refuses to obey his word. He loved the freedom of those who would be saved more than he did himself and his ability to suffer. Amen? Did I say that right? Did I get that across? He hated evil more than he did the suffering he was about to endure. But he wanted you and I to see the depth of suffering that he was about to endure as Jesus, as God himself, spent three hours in the most bitter anguish a human uh, uh, being can go through. They say that a human being can, uh, on very rare instances, get to the point to where the pressure in the capillaries actually begin to burst and the blood will flow through the skin, as is described in the book of Luke. They tell the story in World War I of our soldiers being penned there in those trenches, some of them 10 and 12 foot deep, and listening to the enemy artillery shells come in, one after the other. And they could hear the enemy searching for the trench. And as they were listening to that, they were given the command to go up into that no man's land. And historians tells us that there was more than one soldier who climbed the ladder up out of the trench only to fall back covered with his own blood. But it wasn't because of an enemy wound. It was because of the anguish of his soul in facing death. Literally allowed the blood to flow right through the skin as if it were sweat. God wants us to see this, my friend. And I hope I don't sound like I'm just repeating the same phrase over and over again. Jesus was saved from death in that he feared, though he died. Do you get that? Jesus was saved from death. It says, in that he feared, the fear of the Lord, the hating of evil more than, his, than the suffering, the understanding of what God would do to every human being if he were not to drink that cup. And of course, his resignation from point one was always to drink that cup. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter... 15. Well, let's turn to Psalm 35. I don't want to skip this passage. Beautiful passage here, Psalm 35. And again, we're just trying to make some connections at God's switchboard here. And we just seem to go back to this book of Psalms so many times. These were the songs. These were the reflections. This is another psalm that David had. And we look here in verse 15 of Psalm 35. 
But in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not with hypocritical mockers in feast. They gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destruction, my darling, from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without cause, without a cause. Does that not describe the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? And yet, could you imagine? I, I love thinking about this. It is now Sunday morning. And this haggard, scared to death, whiter than sheets, set of Roman soldiers come staggering in and set at the entrance to the high priest's palace. And their leader goes in and begins to relay the story of this being floating down out of the sky and picking up that 4,000 to 5,000 pound stone and tossing it aside as if it weighed nothing and sitting there and gloating at them as they play dead at the entrance of Jesus' tomb. They were the ones that were walking in front of the cross and saying, let God deliver him if he'll have him. Come down off the cross and we'll believe. Do you see what the prophecy said? It says, let them, not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Death was not the ultimate victor. Three days, Jesus was in the tomb. That's what the Bible tells us. He rose again on the third day. Now, how you get three days from Friday night to Sunday morning, I'm not quite sure. But... Uh, that's why I believe Jesus was crucified on Thursday. Because you got it there. He was in the tomb. Thursday afternoon, in the tomb, all day Friday, in the tomb, all day Saturday. He rose again the third day, Sunday morning. He was in the tomb Thursday night. He was in the tomb Friday night. He was in the tomb Saturday night. All you have to do is take Silent Wednesday out, move everything back, and it works. Amen? Listen, death was not the ultimate victor. His darling was delivered from the lions. It says, rescue my soul from their destruction. Jesus, even though he was crucified, was not a martyr. He was not a victim of circumstance. He went willingly, willfully and full of knowledge, and he knew every step that he was going to take, including the resurrection on Sunday morning. Amen? And so, as we look here, and we'll finish with this passage right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll try to pick up here next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Come down to verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The, death of sti- the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then a verse you should have memorized. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God wants us to see the sorrow and the depth of the anguish for one purpose. For us to understand that the little tiny bit of suffering and deprivation that we may experience in this world does not hold a candle to what Jesus did for us, is not worthy to be compared with the price of our salvation. That's why when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence in the salvation that our Lord and Savior gives. We need to understand salvation is free. But it was not cheap, nor was it easy. The cross was not a cakewalk. And how can you say anything is hard for God? Just read the stories of the prayer in Gethsemane again. He wants us to see the price that was paid for our salvation. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask once again that you would open our eyes to see these things. Lord, that we would be willing to learn the fear of the Lord. That we would be more afraid of you than of any human being or of any suffering that might come upon us in this life. We thank you that you have tasted death for every man that we might go free. That you drank that cup that we would never need to touch it or even to look in it. Lord, we're thankful for what you've done for us. We ask that you would consume our hearts and our minds with the greatness of our salvation. Let's just take a moment, keep our heads bowed if you would like to Just step out and spend a few moments at an old-fashioned altar talking to the Lord. Now's the time to do it.